Hello family. I would love to greet you all in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. A warm welcome to you all to our church at home service. I believe that you are all well and safe during these difficult times. As the country and as the world as we are faced with this pandemic, I would love to offer words of comfort to those who are going through difficult times, to those who are in mourning, and to those who have lost their loved ones because of the pandemic. There is a song that recently I have been listening to by Joe Metal. It talks about the power of prayer. He says, I believe in the power of prayer with faith as my anchor. And he says, I will pray, I will call out to God, and I know that God will answer my prayer. This song reminded me of James chapter 5, verse 13, the A part of it. It says, Is any of you in trouble? Let him pray. The Bible encourages us that when we are faced with different kinds of troubles, we should pray. We pray because we know that God hears our prayers and he will surely answer us. I would love to encourage us that let us take time, let us invest our time in prayer, knowing that the one that we call out to, he hears us and he will answer our prayers. Indeed, God will answer our prayers and he will heal our country. We are going to listen to a message by Pastor Monzi. But before we get into the message, Mrs. Busima Guarela is going to be sharing with us the offering message. Be blessed. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm excited to be in your living rooms or on your computer screen or on your cell phone at this moment because it is quite a privilege to be able to bring an encouragement to you today. I don't know where you are, where you find yourself, but I want to bring you love from People's Church. I want to tell you that we love you, we are thinking of you, we are praying for you daily, and we are praying that God will strengthen you in whatever you are going through or wherever you find yourselves at this point in time. As I was thinking of what to encourage you with, I just decided I'm going to share with you what has been on my mind in the past two weeks. You see, over the past two weeks, I've been thinking a lot about the story of Noah and the ark and the floods. And I'm sure the moment I said that, some people started to feel like, uh-uh, I'm probably one of those who are outside the flood, outside the ark, not within the ark, because I don't feel safe. I feel exposed. I actually feel like I'm drowning. Many of us feel like we're drowning at this point in time. But I want to remind you of God's promise. His promise is that he will never leave us nor forsake us. His promise is that as long as we abide in the secret place of the Most High, we will be safe under his shadow. And I want to assure you that God has not left you, regardless of what you are feeling at this point in time. So back to the story of Noah. God kept Noah safe in the ark. And when it was the right time, he let Noah out with his family and all the animals that had been locked up with him. But apart from that, God also gave a promise when all of this was over. And his promise was that as long as the earth remains, there will always be a change of season. There will be day, there will be night, there will be summer, there will be winter. 
I don't know what season you find yourself in. But for many of us, it's a very tearful season. It's a very sad and heavy season. Even when I speak to my friends, I feel like we are all carrying pretty much the same level of heaviness. And I want to encourage you today that this season is going to pass. We are not going to be here forever. We are not going to be locked down forever. We are not going to have to wear a mask forever. It sounds very far-fetched at the moment, but we are going to believe it because God's word says that there will be summer and there will be winter. So today, I want to also tell you that Noah's deliverance depended very much on his obedience. What does this have to do with offering at this point, you may be wondering. And I will tell you, if Noah did not go according to God's specifications, when it comes to the dimensions of the building that he was to make, or the materials for that matter that he was to use to build the ark, Noah's family wouldn't have been delivered from that, those floods. Noah wouldn't have been ready for the floods. And today I want to encourage you to obey whatever God is saying to you in this season. The government has already given us instructions to comply with. They say we should wear a mask. They say we should sanitize. They say we should keep a safe distance or so social distance from people around us and avoid crowded areas. Obedience is as simple as just doing what you have been told to do. Is the Lord asking you to buy somebody airtime? Is the Lord asking you to buy your neighbor a meal? Is the Lord asking you to pick up your phone and call somebody that you haven't spoken to in a long time or somebody you may not even be used to speaking with? Maybe that is the obedience that you need to follow through with in the season that we are in. But also when it comes to giving, God has already said, bring your tithes and offerings to my house so that there may be food for God's people. Many people depend on your offering. Many people depend on your obedience to give to God's work, to give to what God is doing. The fact that we can record this message and bring you hope and bring you life. Many people are depending on our obedience to continue to serve. You see, God's word and obedience to God does not depend on lockdown, does not depend on our back balance. It does not depend on our mood. Imagine if Noah decided, I don't feel like building today. Or no, instead of this material, I'll buy that one. Because God, it's cheaper that way. Where would it all have ended? I would like to encourage you as I close with Psalm 23. Because Psalm 23 for me is always a scripture that speaks into every season that we are in. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley. Some versions say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Isn't that where many of us find ourselves today? You find that you're thinking of a family member who's in the valley of the shadow of death or who has even passed away. The Lord says, the, David says in the scripture, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Don't we need comfort in the season that we are in today? You prepare a feast for me 
in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me. Other versions say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. We need the mercy of God more than ever before. But we are also guaranteed it because it's in his word. All the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. My brother or my sister, today be encouraged knowing that the Lord is with you. He has never left your side. He will never leave your side. Whatever he's saying to you to do today, do it. Because your deliverance depends on your obedience. God bless you. The banking details will appear and you will see how you are able to give to what God is doing through People's Church. Stay blessed, stay safe, and remember that we love you. God bless. Good morning, People's Church. Um, so good to be together again, albeit virtually. And so today is the, is, the, is the day just before we get into the week of fasting and prayer. And I'm going to share a few words, you know, that are going to be in line with that. And mainly my focus this morning is going to be from Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. So you'll remember from uh, last Sunday, this is part of that same sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, I can just think with my 21st century mind that, you know, after Jesus had preached this sermon, the gathering is, is finished, you know, as people are walking out, that someone, one of the disciples goes to Jesus and they ask him, so Jesus, you know, what should I title this message? You know, I've worked in the media desk before. I've asked pastors so many times that same question. What should we title this sermon that you just preached? And Jesus, I can imagine in my mind, just turning to them and saying, ah, you can call it the Sermon on the Mount, you know. And they're like, ah, I, you know, I think it needs to be a little bit creative than that. I think it needs to be sticky. You know, I think it needs to be memorable. But nevertheless, this is what this sermon is called. It is called the Sermon on the Mount. And the main reason is because Jesus preached it on the mountainside. This, is, this was the venue, you know, for, for this particular sermon. And if we go into it, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 to 18, this is what it says. Jesus is, is talking and addressing the people that were around him. He says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret, will reward you. And so um, I'm just going to make a couple of comments and, and things that I believe that Jesus was teaching us here. By the way, the title for my message for today is what Jesus said about fasting, what Jesus taught about fasting. And that is what we're going to do. We're just going to get a couple of lessons that I believe are going to help us as we, go, as we go into this week where we together as a church, you know, are going to embark in the, in the process uh, of fasting and prayer. And so um, the interesting thing as, we, as I recap a little bit from last week um, is that this sermon, as, as I said last week, is a, a very significant sermon. 
um, in the New Testament church. It is very important. It is very significant. And the reason for that is because in this sermon, we get a picture of the thing that Jesus came to establish, of the new thing that Jesus came to this world to bring. And that thing he referred to as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And so in these three chapters in Matthew, he unpacks what that looks like. He unpacks what the kingdom of God is. He unpacks, you know, what this new thing that he is bringing and ushering into the world is like. That is why this sermon is actually so important. Is because um, it is almost like a constitution. It is almost like a founding document of the New Testament church and the kingdom of God that we are a part of if we are in Christ Jesus. And so it's interesting because back one chapter, if you just go back one two chapters in in Matthew chapter 4 in Matthew chapter 4 in verse in verse 17 Jesus said this uh, or it says this it's recorded this about Jesus and his ministry it says from that time Jesus began to preach saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and so what this says is that the thing that Jesus came to, to introduce, the thing that he calls the kingdom of heaven, was now at hand. You know, when John the Baptist was preaching, he was saying, for the kingdom of heaven is coming, for the kingdom of heaven, you know, is at hand. I mean, is among you. And then now Jesus says, it is at hand, it is here. It is, it is just beginning. This is the new kingdom that Jesus had come. To establish, And it's important also to note that prior to Jesus coming into the world, there was no such thing as the kingdom of heaven. There was no such thing as the kingdom of God. What, what was there was the nation of Israel and the covenant that they had with God. That is part of the Old Testament. That is all there was. You know, there was no such thing. There was no mention of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And so when Jesus steps into the pages of history, he steps in to introduce something new, something that had never been there before, and that is the kingdom of heaven. And later in Jesus' ministry, later just before he is crucified, he is having a conversation or, or rather uh, Pilate is talking to him and asks him a question. Are you the king of the Jews? That is found in John chapter 18 verse 36. So Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? This is what these people are accusing you of. So are you the king of the Jews? You know, and, and so it says this as a response in John chapter 18 verse 36. It says, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. And this is the kingdom that Jesus came to establish. And so I'm just going to take a few minutes uh, to talk about a few lessons that I think we should learn, that I think would help us if we learn as we go into this into this week of, of fasting and prayer. And the first thing from the, from the main text for us this morning, which was in Matthew chapter 6, the first thing that we learn, the first lesson that Jesus teaches is that fasting is a private spiritual discipline. That is the first thing. That is the clear um, uh, teaching that Jesus brings. And it's very important to understand the context within which he spoke this, within which he said this, because then you will begin to understand the significance and why he said what he said. And so if you, if you go back in history, 
by the time that Jesus stepped into the scene, there were so many things that had been good, that were started as good things, that were done, you know, as good things. But by the time that Jesus came into the scene, by the time Jesus came into the world, many of those things had been corrupted. Many of those things had been distorted. And it's interesting to learn that the, the people that were uh, the chief culprits for the distortions and, and all the all the things that had went wrong in terms of what Jesus, of what God had handed down to his people, were actually the people that were in charge and responsible for teaching the, other, the, the entire nation how to live lives that were pleasing to God. It was the people that worked for God, that earned a living by working for God. They worked in the temple. They were the, the, you know, the, the Pharisees and the experts in the law, the teachers of the law. Those were the people that were really um, responsible for the word of God, for teaching the entire nation how to live lives that are pleasing to God. And it's interesting to note that they were the same people who were, in, who were responsible for the perversions and all the corruption of many of the things that, that God had handed down to people as good things. But now they were something else entirely. And fasting was no exception. You know, as tradition you know, tells us, that when, when the Pharisees and the, and the teachers of the law were, were fasting, whenever they were fasting, what they would do is that they would take ashes and they would put it on their heads. They would put it on their faces. You know, they would make their lips just a little bit more dry. And they would even disfigure their faces, as Jesus said. They would disfigure their faces so that other people see that they are fasting. This was, this was what they were doing. This was the practice of the day when Jesus stepped into the scene that, that the Pharisees, the people that were responsible for teaching the people how to live lives that are pleasing to God, how to fast the way that God God wants. They were the same people that were perverting. They were the same people that were corrupting the word of God. And so they would go to extra lengths just to make sure that other people see that today I'm fasting, you know, that today I'm fasting. And I think one of the main reasons that they did that was because they wanted to be seen as people that are holy. They wanted to be seen as people that are more spiritual than everyone else. And I can just imagine a, a, a conversation uh, taking place in the marketplace as, as a Pharisee, you know, walks past and a person asks them, so, oh, wow, so you're fasting. And they say, mm, yes, oh, yes, I'm fasting. It's so difficult. It's so painful. And the person was like, oh, wow, is it, it must be very difficult and, and very painful. And not many people can do what you are doing. And they're like, yes, it's so difficult, you know, but I am managing. I can do it. You know, this, is, this, this was their attitude when they were, whenever they were fasting. They wanted to be seen by other people that they were fasting. But I believe what they really wanted was for other people to hold them in high regard, was for the other people to look up you know, to them and to say, you know, maybe one day when I grow up, I want to be like a Pharisee. They do something that is so difficult. They fast. Can you believe it? And, and you know, true to human nature, the people that were, they were responsible for teaching, the people that they were responsible for leading followed suit. And so in very short period of time, this was the, the practice. This was what people did whenever they said they were fasting. Everyone fasted this way because they saw their leaders. They saw their guides and their teachers doing it this way. And, and the first thing that Jesus clarified was that fasting is something personal and something that is private. 
It wasn't something that a person does so that they may be seen by others. It wasn't something that someone does for any other person. Jesus was saying that fasting is something that a person does for and unto only one person. And that person is God. You do not need to be seen by other people when you are fasting. In fact, what you should do is actually to try to make sure that other people don't see that you are fasting. In fact, he, he even says that your father, your heavenly father who is in secret will see what you are doing. You know, no one else needs to see it. It doesn't need to be in, in public. It doesn't need you know, be, to be shown to other people because your heavenly father sees even what is done in secret. He sees, you know, even the things that other people cannot see. So the first thing that Jesus clarified is that fasting is a private spiritual discipline that a person does unto and for God and only God. No one else needs to see that, which is something very different to, to what we were talking about last week, which was the good works that Jesus wants us to do. Those, he says, they must be seen by others. But your, spirit, your private spiritual disciplines, your fasting, you know, and, and those kind of uh, private spiritual disciplines, they don't need to be seen by people. And so that's the first lesson that I learned from, from what Jesus says here. Uh, and then the second lesson, which is very uh, closely linked to the first one, is that we need to all mind our motives, that our motives matter. Our motives for doing whatever it is that we are doing, and, and certainly for fasting, they matter very much to God. And, and and I think the question that we need to be asking ourselves as we are about to begin this week of fasting and prayer is why am I actually fasting? Why am I depriving myself of whatever it is that I'm depriving myself? Why am I doing what I am doing? Because for the, for the Pharisees uh, here in this, in this particular scripture, they were doing it so that they may be seen by others. This is what Jesus says. He says, for they disfigure their faces so that their, their fasting may be seen by others. That is why they were doing it. That was their motive for doing it. It was so that they may be seen by others. And he says that we should not do that. We shouldn't that should not be our motive. Our motive should not be because we want to be seen by others. And we're going to get into that just now. And it says, if your motive for doing fasting, and I believe if your motive for doing anything for God is not right, I believe that you shouldn't do the act itself because it is, it is, it is of no benefit. It is useless. As Jesus says, he says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What does he mean? What is he saying? He says they have received whatever it is that they expected to receive. There is nothing else that, are, that they are still going to receive from God. There's nothing that God owes them. There's nothing that they are going to receive from God. They have received their reward in full. They have been paid in full. There is no outstanding debt. What they wanted, they have received. They wanted praise from people, and they have received praises from people. And I'm, 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 I'm thinking, you know, that that is not what we are doing, what we are fasting for. That is not what we are depriving ourselves for, just to receive praises from other people, just so that other people may think we are better than them. I believe there's something better. There's 
something deeper that we are pressing into God for, that we are depriving ourselves for. We are in desperate need for something. You know, we, we need a miracle. We need a breakthrough. Maybe you are even standing in the gap for someone else, but there is something deeper than just recognition and for other people to look at us and, and hold us in high esteem. That should not be our motive because if that is our motive, then we will receive nothing from God. Make no mistake about it. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, make no mistake about it. You will not receive anything from God as they will also not receive anything from God because they have received their reward in full. And you must remember that the reason that we fast, the reason that, you know, that we engage in fasting is actually to starve the flesh so that we can feed the spirit. That is the pri- one of the primary reasons, you know, and, and it is also to disconnect from the world so that we can connect from our heavenly father. That is the reason that we fast. It is to press into God. It is to, it is to fix our eyes on God. It is to spend more time in God's word and in prayer. It is for us to be filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit spirit it is for us to be to to be more like god and less like ourselves we starve the flesh so that we can feed our spirits we weaken the flesh so that we can we can strengthen the spirit because we want to do what the spirit wants us to do we want to do the will of god in our lives so my encouragement is let us spend time let us prioritize spending time in the word of god let us prioritize reading god's word reading the bible sitting for some time you know that the duration is not of of consequence it's not that important what is important is that we prioritize and we set apart time we have a schedule we have a plan you know that we are going to read the bible for so long and we are going to pray for so long for these things this is our plan this is what we would like to see at the end of this period of fasting and prayer because i think you know if we if we spend the entire week you know fasting you can even be doing a completely dry fast no food no liquids for the whole week but if you don't spend time in god's word if you don't spend time with god in prayer then i believe the only thing you are doing you are starving yourself the only thing you are doing you're engaging in some type of a of a diet but i don't think you know that what you want is going to happen in terms of spiritual realities and the things that you want um, that are in line with God's will for your life. We need to prioritize God's word. We need to spend time with God in prayer. And the third and last thing that I would like to live with us uh, when it comes to uh, fasting is we need to be at peace with others. You know, this is something that is not really um, linked to this uh, portion of scripture that we read, but it is very important in God's kingdom. And it was very, a very important teaching in, in Jesus' ministry. It is a very important lesson for us to learn is to be at peace with one another. And so we find this in chapter 5. Within the same sermon, Sermon on the Mount, we are focusing in chapter 6 today, but this was in chapter 5. So just one chapter prior. Chapter 5, Matthew chapter Chapter 5, verse 23 to 24, Jesus says, So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. I think that this 
was a little bit of a controversial teaching. I think this was something completely revolutionary. No one had ever taught this before, before Jesus said this. This was, for us, I mean, it's normal. For us, we, we quote it all the time. For us, it's of course. But for them, the people that were hearing this for the first time, this was never heard before. This was controversial. This was completely new. And you must remember that uh, people back in those days, some people traveled long distances to go to the temple, the temple which was located in Jerusalem back in those days. So they would travel long distances to go to Jerusalem because that's where the temple was for them to be able to offer sacrifices to God. So there, there was a lot of effort that had to be put into that. And the other thing is that when Jesus says, when you are getting ready to offer your gift, before the, or on the altar. The gift that he is talking about is not money. You know, today, all that we think about is money. You know, pull out your wallet, pull out money from your wallet, and you put it on the plate. But back in those days, it was not um, money. What it was, people were offering live animals as sacrifices upon the altar for unto God. So they would, some people would travel with animals from home, animals that they had set apart for this very purpose for some time. And they would travel those distances to go to the temple. And then they would offer those sacrifices as, as an offering unto God. And for those that had uh, a long distances to travel to go into the temple, those people were permitted to carry money from home and to, uh, uh, to go to the temple. And then when they get to the temple, there they use their money to purchase a live animal that they would later then uh, offer as a sacrifice unto God. This is the offering that Jesus is talking about. And he says that if you have traveled all that distance, if you have went through all that trouble with the money that you carried from home, you know, caught the taxes if you catch taxes, but you, you made your way until the, uh, to the temple and then you used your money to purchase an animal, you stood in a long queue in the heat of the day, and then finally you get to the front of the altar it is your time to offer your sacrificial gift unto God. It is your time to offer your gift to God. And there in that moment, you remember that someone, somewhere has something against you. Jesus says, you must leave your offering right there at the, at the altar and you must go back. Because you must first be reconciled to your brother and then you can come back and make your offering unto God. This was something revolutionary. This was something different. This was something new. No one had ever said what Jesus was saying. And and question is, what is Jesus' point? What is Jesus' lesson? What is Jesus teaching his hearers and his audience? And I believe this is the lesson that he is teaching. That in his kingdom, that he was here to institute, that he was here to usher in, how you and I deal with people matters very much to him. I believe that was the, the lesson. I believe that was the revolutionary lesson, the even controversial lesson. He says, in his kingdom, how we treat other people matters very much to him. Because you must remember the contrast that these people were coming, most of them were, were in the Old Covenant, Old Testament way of understanding their relationship with God. And they understood from the Old Covenant that, that as long as they were fine with God, then it doesn't matter too much how they treat other people. As long as, you know, I still make my 
offerings. As long as I still remember and observe all the feasts, as long as I still remember and, and observe the Ten Commandments and the special holidays and all of those kind of things, then I should be fine. It doesn't matter too much how I, how I handle or how I relate, how I deal with other people. I could be, you know, a thief. But as long as I make sure that my relationship with God, I offer sacrifices, you know, I offer my peace offerings, I offer my guilt offerings, I make sure that my relationship with God is fine, then it didn't really matter too much. This was an old covenant understanding of, of their relationship with God, that their, their vertical relationship with God had absolutely nothing to do with their horizontal relationship with other people. That is why this teaching was so controversial. That is why it was so new. That is why people who heard it could not believe what Jesus had just said. Because Jesus said, your horizontal relationship with people has implications upon your vertical relationship with God. In Jesus' kingdom, how you handle the everyday common people that you meet, that you see each and every day, how you handle them, how you deal with them matters very much. And it has implications upon your relationship with him directly. That is why it was so revolutionary. And he says, if you are getting ready, if you have went through all the trouble and you are ready to make your offerings to God, if you are ready to, to, to satisfy your vertical relationship with God, you've traveled all this way. And there at the altar you remember that someone somewhere, someone back then, someone back there, you know, has something um, against me that I need to leave my offering. I can't proceed. I need to leave it. I need to go back. I need to first be reconciled because that matters to God. That matters in Jesus' kingdom. And you must remember that when, when Jesus says, first be reconciled to your brother, your brother could have been in the temple with you, had traveled the same distance in the temple with you. They are also there to make their offering. In that case, you just go to them. You apologize. You do whatever you need to do to make things right. Also, your brother could have been back in the village. Think about the implications of that. Jesus says, leave your offering. Go back. First be reconciled to, to, to other people. First be reconciled to your brother before you can proceed with your offering. And I think if not even sacrificial offerings that were offered to God were more important than how people uh, were than whether people were reconciled with fellow human beings I don't know what could be more important than that I don't think that even fasting even embarking on a on a period of time where we deprive our bodies or deprive ourselves of something that we need so that we can be closer to God. I don't, I don't think even that is more important than being reconciled. What would Jesus say, you know, to us as we are about to, 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 to embark on this uh, period of fasting and prayer? I believe maybe what he would say is first be reconciled. First go back and be reconciled with your brother. So, as we are about to embark on this noble journey of fixing our eyes on Jesus and depriving ourselves of something that we need, or however it is that you choose to fast, why don't you and I start this week by being reconciled with someone that we are at odds with? 
Why don't we start this week by going back, by thinking through our minds, you know. Does any, is there anyone who holds anything against me? Maybe let me go back. Maybe let me go there and first mend things with them. And I believe for many of us, you are watching there, a picture just came into your mind. A name just popped into your mind. And I believe that is the name, that is the person, that is the face that I think God is prompting you to go and make things right with. And if you can't, you can't think of anything or you can't think of someone, I would like to invite you to pray this prayer along with me. It's a prayer that I have been praying for some time. And it's a short prayer. It comes from a song. And it says, So help me God, breathe on my weakness. For all I want is to be like Jesus. I don't have much, but what I have is yours to use. So make my whole life your upper room. Why don't we pray that prayer to say, Breathe on my weaknesses. I have so many. Breathe on my weaknesses. Help me, God, because all I want is to be like Jesus. I don't have much, but all I have is yours. So make my life, my whole life, my entire life, your upper room. Come and dwell within me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word is life. Your word is truth. Your word is light unto our feet. Pray, Father God, that what has been preached, Lord, that it enters into our minds, enters into our hearts, enters into our lives, and that it changes us and makes us more into the people that you want us to be. Father, you are committed to us. We are committed to the people that you want us to be. And you are so good to give us, to feed us words uh, from, from the scriptures, Lord God, that you want to, to transform us and to change us. And as you go into this week, Father, we pray, help us by your Holy Spirit to really commit to what we feel in our hearts we would like to commit to. The kind of fast, the duration, whatever it is that you are prompting us to do it, help us to do it. Help us to draw near to you. Help us to open ourselves, to open our hearts, to open our lives to you. That your word may transform, that your word may change us, that your word may make us the people that you want us to be. We thank you, Father, that you love us, that you, that you want good things for us. We are your children, Lord God. We thank you, Father, and so we honor you. We praise you. We lift your name up in Jesus' mighty name, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God be with you as you go into this week. And I pray that and I trust and I hope in my heart that God is going to help you in whatever it is that you need. Whether you need a miracle, whether you need a breakthrough, whether it's financial, whether it's healing, whatever it is that you need, I'm really trusting that by the end of this week that you would have received that thing that you need from God. But more than that, what I am trusting, what I am hoping for, is that at the end of this week, you will become a better represent, representative and better reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ than you are right now. That is my prayer, and that is my prayer for you as well. So take care, stay safe, and be blessed. Thank you very much, Pastor Mondi, for such a powerful message. The Bible tells us that God's word does not come from heaven and come down to earth and go back without fulfilling its purpose. And it encourages us that we must be the hearers and the doers of the word. In that way, we will be able to grow and live in accordance to the will of God. I believe that we are all blessed by the message. Just a reminder, today, this Sunday, we are starting with our fasting and prayer week. We are all encouraged to come together in fasting and in prayer. 
Prayers will be held between 6 and 7, and before 6 o'clock, messages will be sent to each and every one of us with regards to the theme of the day. May you all have a wonderful week, a fruitful week ahead, and may God bless you.